there's something to that uh, about the paper ballot of just the security knowing that this is going to this is done by yeah. my hand no other you know dimpled chads be damned they actually went on to joe rogan's podcast and they like behind the scenes right listen like we want to we want to get away from the hill but we don't know if we want to like make that jump and go independent and he said mm. no do it he was like encouraging me to go on the football team and then later do it in high school and that's a good story <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to the Big Man's Commander Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Lapore, and I'm on with Dave B. Secker. Fucking A. I well, well, I'll just I'll just eat that one. Boy, see, I knew I was gonna mess it up. It's a hard one. It's B-Sacker. always been a hard one. Yeah, because I was like, because I told you this before before we went live, I was like, I'm gonna mess this up. And then I asked, I was like, what just just so I can not like butcher this thing. And you and you told me B. Secker. And yep. you're like, I'm like, cool, got it. Second I go, we alive. Don't got it. It's gonna happen. Trust me. Yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll eat that one. I'll, t- I'll take that one in the comments. Um, but uh, so I'm glad I finally got to steal you because not only are you just a man that just walks around with you know stature, you just you have so much going on. You are like a 500 bencher. You're a constable. You're you have family. Like, what don't you do? So it's 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 been a long road. It's been an interesting long road. I had the all the intentions in college just to be your plain old average history teacher. Your fun history teacher, but yeah. a history teacher nonetheless. And then life, everything sort of gets in the way, gets you into new patterns. Because uh, I was thinking about, like, what, uh, what would 2010 David say to 2020 David and so forth? Yeah, and, yeah. and honestly, uh, like, especially with the Constable deal, 2010 David would be very confused. He would be... How how did how did we get here? This is not my, my wife. This is not my beautiful house. Uh, it, 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 this is strange territory. Yeah. But in the same case, it feels it feels good. It's it's I'm I'm serving my community. I'm improving my community, and I like the service that I provide. That's awesome. Not many, not many people have that kind of mindset. Most people, it's like better job, better money. So what? Th- this is what comes with it. I guess I'll deal with it. You know, they don't look at it like I'm going to serve my community. I'm going to help. You know, and that's the thing. My before this, my career was actually helping people get elected to do these jobs. So that was uh, sort of a big career point in my in mind because about 2010 was when I uh, ran my first race. Oh man! Yes, it was a. It's an interesting tale. Uh, in Westchester, the current state rep was retiring okay and uh barb mcelvain smith was uh had been elected since i want to say i want to get my math right here because i was just about to graduate from college yes i want to say it was 2006 okay and she won mm, i might be getting this wrong i think she won by a total of 28 votes after a half million dollar recount Yes, if I'm getting my, if I'm just, you know, I'm sure the comment section will go after me, but that, <laughs> but in, yes, that was essentially what happened. And uh, this is when this, uh, the Democrats actually took control of the state house in 2006. Mm. And it was by one vote and it was hers. And that actually set the precedent that if you are, if your race is between one half of 1% of, of the other person, you uh there's an automatic recount because that you know it took a lot of money a lot of money to get that recount off the ground so so what constitutes a recount at that point is where it's like a, they're, they're, there's a deadlock or is it there um so it's uh the the cutoff point now legally is one half of one percent so as long as that's the threshold of in between the two opponents or i guess three opponents really or however it worked out that would be a, an automatic recount. You can uh, um, apply for a recount, and of course, you can go to the uh, election board, and you know there's a process for that. And then, you know, they'll give you a yay or nay depending on the, the realistic mm-hmm, aspect mm-hmm. of it. Because, but one half of one percent is the, like the dedicated point of like, well, okay, there at this point, statistically, gives way for the idea that there could be a variance. Yeah. Now, yeah. is, is, is that scary to kind of have to do, like, a recount? It's, it, it is, 
litigious is the best mm-hmm. word I could say. That's fair. Excre- yeah. Extremely litigious. Um, they, you have to get observers. You have to watch the votes getting recounted, the whole process. And this is, of course, back in 2006 where actually in Chester County, they were a little bit ahead of the game and doing it by paper ballots. Okay. Uh, this is really going to show the, the nerdy side of me. Yeah. I always grew up punch-holing an actual paper ballot, feeding it into a Scantron, and and going from there. Oh, really? And then when I voted in Montgomery County, I'm like, what's this big machine? And it's the voting machine. we got to plug the buttons and hit the final one and be done. And, like, yeah, it, there's a, there's something to that uh, about the paper ballot of just the security knowing that this is going to – this is done by yeah. my hand, no other, you know – Dimpled chads be damned. I don't know. Yeah. You, you probably don't remember that, do you? Mm-mm, I can't say I do. Uh, election of 2000, Bush uh, v. Gore. I was one. You were one. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna own that Sorry. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a. Uh, I was just about 18 at. Yeah, I was just. Uh, uh, yeah, I was 18 at the time because I, I turned Octo- in October, and uh, so yeah, just about, and. I remember being stuck because I'm, as you can tell, huge political nerd, and I was really all about just watching the process. I, I mean, I had my pluses and minuses at the time about both, but I was really more intense about the process. And when it came down into uh, Miami-Dade County and where the recount was going over there, there's a great movie about it called Recount. Great okay. movie, and. This well, I, I think I told a story to get the story to get where we are now. So I want to. You're good. You're good. So, basically, uh, that movie uh, was the first time an instance like basically um, paid political actors were used in protests. Yes. So really. Yes. Uh, long story short, uh, different outside agencies paid. Nice looking, you know, young men to wear khaki uh, khaki pants, white eight shirts, stand out front and be like, you know, every vote counts. Every vote counts. You know, 22 years yeah. later in Arizona, stop counting the votes. Stop, stop counting, counting the, the votes. votes. So, as yeah, you change. The, and then these were pressuring, they're trying to create pressure to stop the recount. And it actually kind of worked. Because they created such a, a pressure that had never been applied at that time. And they're like, why are all these people hanging outside the Miami-Dade County office mm. watching about this recount? This is like supposed to be something everyone just sits home and watch on CNN. Yeah. But no, the, it became live and in their faces, and it became intimidating. The yeah. movie, of course, blanks this out a lot better than I can. But... uh Yeah, it shows really... I mean, that, the emphasis of the word politics is people that is the inescapable a uh, factor of the word and the and, the, and yeah. the effort itself you're talking about people acting on and for and against other people yeah that makes sense yeah and in that and so a lot of people look it's like oh politics it's that nasty thing that like dirty sport that everyone yeah. plays over there that you know every you know everyone plays into conspiracy land Conspiracy land is inhabited by people who don't want to take the time and effort to actually learn how it, things really work. And the scary thing is that nobody knows what's going on. That's really? that's the truth. That's the God's oh, that's honest, terrifying. God's honest truth. Nobody's in charge. We're all figuring it out one step at a time. And if doubt, we call someone who may know more because they're older. That's it. That is literally it. That's a far more scarier world than any conspiracist yeah. can, can come up with. Because I guess like, you know someone who's twenty three and young and dumb, but it's 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 like I'm I'm wildly into politics, which we've talked about. You know, mm-hmm. on of plenty course, of Sundays yeah, yeah. when we bench. Um, but it's just like hearing that. It's kind of like because sometimes you go and you look, you go, well, why haven't they figured this out yet? Why is it still a problem? You know what I'm saying? And I guess hearing that, it's also like, well, there are also people too. Because people forget that. And I do recognize that is people like me who are just regular Joe Schmo, they go, oh, well, this is this is blasphemy. This is whatever. But like, then again, they're still human. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like that that human element to uh, to politics, to anything really, is, is still there. 
you have to you have to factor for that. Exactly. That's where you get that tribalization <clears throat> kind of factor. My side, their side, and then you know. Trust me, I've had my own points where I've realized, okay, maybe I've dug my heels a little too much in the sand here, yeah, and have to, to, you know, let me keep take a scope of the horizon, see uh-huh. it. Yeah, I have to do the same thing. Yep, yeah. and you know, that's that's something that everybody can do at all points. It's not just many to, people will do that. Not, and that's the thing. That's it's it's just like in the benching. It's being. You know, respectful. It's like, what did I do wrong first? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if my bench didn't go right, it's not because, you know, people weren't cheering for me hard enough or I didn't, you know, put enough of uh, chalk on my hands. It's like, no, did I take a full breath in? Were my lats tight? Hey, were my legs drived and ready and, you know, stuck where they needed to be? He, you know, was... um. Was I completely tight? Was I completely arms arms ready? You know, at the liftoff and not kind of just like, Ugh. oh yeah, you know, taking you know just like sitting there and just kind of like forgetting about what you're doing. You yeah, because that happens. Yeah, you know, you just don't want to do it. On, you know, you want to forget it on gym day, not at meet day. Yeah, oh trust me, you see me on Sundays. You can't tell. Yeah, but that's the thing. You're you know, when I was a young lifter back when I was young. Uh, my first gym was a gym called Better Bodies. Okay. This was um, in Exton. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not there anymore, you know, but it's, I, I look back to it, it, it like, you know, it's, it's my happy a time in my childhood. I would just, I would uh, go to school at Delco Community College there, which is right over where the gym was, and then go to the gym, work out, and then go take martial arts classes. And uh, they had a second, like a little studio area where I did that. My entire life surrounded about, you know, a, uh, one square or a little kilometer here, here in Exton, where all my stuff was. I had my gym, I had my school, and yeah. my martial arts. I was set. That's all you need. Yeah, and I, I bounced on the weekends. I was an uh, 18, 19-year-old bouncer. That's awesome. That was an interesting experience. Being a, a bouncer before cell phone cameras, oh, my God, I don't know how people do it. What do you, what do, what do you mean? <laughs> so... I, I worked at a club where yeah. I was 18, 19 years old. Sure. And I'm having to, you know, basically babysit adults. Yeah. And as you might imagine, like, so, like I was probably about, the, you know, round about the same size as sure, I am sure, now. Yeah. Like, you know, so I got, you know, initial respect from, like, you know, most of the goers. But, you know. Yeah, you're a big dude. Yeah. But about, you know. About eight, nine, eight shots in, a couple of beers, you know, it's about, you know, bands rocking and rolling. Somebody just going to get them beer muscles. And you know what? I don't think he's as big as he is. I don't think he's mm-hmm. as strong as he looks. And yeah, I've had a few guys, he'd be like, I don't think you're strong. I don't think you're, you know, you know, you look like a wuss. And like, you know, you got to confront those. And the, the thing was, at the time, especially a couple of encounters, I'm sitting there like, you're a grown ass man and you're yelling this is my friday and saturday this is it's yeah. like i'm coming to work dude yeah i'm, I'm just trying to hear you know 99 percent of the time it was just sitting there taking the trash out taking you know making sure everyone was safe at the end of the night and that was the entirety of the ordeal yeah. a couple of times things just went wild one in particular i always think of it was a night like any other uh, kind of like an older like band, like you know, just like a regular rock and roll band, sure, yeah. you know, the eighties and nineties. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a bar that you know, were smoking was allowed to at the time. Also, it was like a restaurant, so it, like it, it tried to do too many things. Yeah, and like lots of older folks between their forties and fifties going up to watch a band. I was literally sitting up front reading a book, just sitting there reading a book. I actually, uh, it was uh, Descartes' Social Contract. Okay, nice. Uh, interesting in parallel when you're you know working at a bar and reading. Uh, the social contract. Well, the only aspect is now, I'm assuming this contract's going to get broken, isn't it? Well, that's the thing about the contract. It is a fluid, as, as Descartes talks about, it, it's a fl- constantly fluid transaction. There's yeah. no hard transaction that says, like, you know, w- you must wear a certain type of pants and a certain type of weather. There's not, it's not like that. Yeah. The social contract is literally sort of, exp- well, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but the point was, I didn't think not. I of all nights, I didn't think anything was going to happen. So I'm sitting there reading my book, happy as a clam, just waiting for the night to be over. One of the waitresses comes out, like all in a huff, going, uh, "I think you better get in here. They're starting to fight." I'm like, "What?" Like I saw like dads, 
and like you know moms and yeah. like you know yeah. ready to go have like it was almost twelve. I was expecting them to wrap it up, <laughs> and so I go in. I see. Um, a, a younger dude, probably about my age now, about 41, and then an older dude, maybe about 50, squaring off. Looks like they're absolutely squaring off against each other. So I'm like, okay, just going to like get in between here and get in between here. Before I can say word one, a bottle flies literally across my nose, smashes against the wall, and then all hell breaks loose. It was just like... Everyone just it's like pick pick a partner, go around, dozy do, smack him in the face. That's what was happening. Everyone just like like a comic. Everyone just like I'm mad, oh and just starts God. finding a partner and wails on each other. It was like an old bar scene from like the <laughs> pretty much like you know old western bar you know yeah. bar scene, you know, and oh my God. people are throwing up le- or th- being thrown left and right. I'm grabbing this guy. I'm trying to grab this guy. I completely forget about the two original combatants in the scenario and seeing that the younger dude has now driv- uh, dragged the older dude out the front door to which he goes out to the patio and begins to just lay into dude. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just this is I'm just I have this image in my head. Oh yeah, I I was just like at that point I'm like, "Oh, I I think I better do something." <laughs> so I go out there, get him off him. Older dude's just got cuts all over his face and he's just it was not a good scene for that guy police came you know oh my god uh and then like that was i mean that was interesting and bad in the same case but dealing with the angry wives afterwards had to be the worst yeah, cops showing up. That's pretty, oh, I felt so sorry for those guys. Why? Oh, the cops. The cops. They because they had to show up there and just like deal with all this crap. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think because like so I I work in the loft, but mm-hmm. I also work in in the bar. So things like this happen a lot, like just stupid stuff. And sometimes when the when the bands that play the eighties and nineties. Do you remember <laughs> the twenty first night? So like they'll play that, and then like you know, there's something stupid. Oh yeah, and a lot of times it's like the women. Like I, it, that surprised me because like obviously you have the you have the dudes that like just push around whatever it is. But usually if you break the guys up, you can at least assemble. You, you some can at least peace. assemble some peace. Yeah, but like there was one particular time where I was younger. I was like, this is when I worked at the first time. I was like eighteen. I think 1819 was bar backing and uh the back in the uh, one corner of the restaurant uh these two women were like bickering and you mm. can kind of hear it and then they started fighting and i watched cody's mom grab this chick by the hair yank her so here's the thing is they're still all like the other groups are not fighting so they all they all are asked to leave so group a mm. is out in the front waiting for their uber Group B is still in the restaurant because Group A left. Now, Group B decides to leave, but Group A did not leave yet. So Group B heads around the place, go outside the front door, and there's Group A standing and waiting for the Uber. And let me tell you, when all hell broke loose, it was the funniest thing in the entire world. Because the guys were just kind of standing there like, we don't really know what to do. And the girls are going out. At it, because like, because in their heads they're like, well, I don't really want to fight, but like, I guess I will. Yeah, that's that's the scenario when uh, two women start fighting out to each other, and the guys are just like, I I don't know what my role is in this scenario. <laughs> I don't really want to pay. Yeah. Like, I I you know I've seen it. Yeah. I've literally seen like two dudes look at each other like, my boyfriend's gonna beat your boyfriend up. The two dudes look at each other and just like, nah. And that's a little nah. Christine. I'm like. You can't just use me, you know, to like, because you've never done it, but like, you can't just be like, my boyfriend's big and strong. So far. So I'm going to sick him on you. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, nothing, nothing too dangerous with a girlfriend with too many cocktails. That's a very true story. Mm. It, it, you know, uh, woe is the fool who, you know, who listens to his girlfriend and in that situation unabated. It's like, Something's going to happen. But the thing is, I, I I do think that's why, you know, like, bouncers and doormen, that's what they call them nowadays. Doorman. Um, that's just, that. Just reminds me of 40-year-old virgin. You're a doorman, <laughs> doorman. And then, yes, I've had that a conversation yeah. with someone and after me before. It's like, you're just a doorman. You can't tell us to do doorman. I'm like, well, 
the cover's 10 bucks. So what's it going to be? Pay up. You know, or have a nice evening. Yeah, dude, it was it was it was pretty cool cuz like I mean, like I don't know. I I've, I've noticed in places around here and when I was in Villanova too that they weren't called bouncers anymore. They were called doormen or like in, in Phoenixville. And I was like, are we switching that? Like what's it, I don't it, know. It it's probably uh you know, just like you know, when you know, when doing in any law enforcement job, there is a show of force. There is a presence of just you being there. That you know, ninety eight percent of the time is enough to. If anyone's got some wild thoughts, be like, "Oh, cops are here." You know, that shuts that down. Yeah, bouncers used to be like that, but now, like I was saying with the with the cell phone cameras, oh man, oh, I mean, like, at least with law enforcement, you are at your working under the color of the law you're there for a legal reason something brought you something brought me to your door i'm just mm-hmm. not going rack, knocking on random doors but you got parking tickets you know i'm there for a reason and you know i deal with it at like you know different scenarios and of course law enforcement and you know a regular police state police they have to work under even more extreme situations because they're called in somewhere nine times out of ten they don't know what they're walking into mm. You know, they may have a small hint, but they have no idea the iceberg that lies behind them. You know, doormen, bouncers like that, they're not they're not working under that. They're just hired guys to make sure that supposedly fully functioning adults don't, you know, go wild on each other. Yeah. And it goes back to the old politics of just like, you know, John, uh, Thomas Jefferson, if, you know, I'm going to sublet here, you know, if uh, or I'm going to I'm going to try to I oh, know I'll just do the quote for if, you know, if man, if man were angels, there would be no need for government. Mm, true. That and that at very rare, you know, answers 99 percent of the questions yeah. like if we did, if man were perfect people, if we were all perfect people, we wouldn't need these social contracts, these rules to keep us in a nice tight boundary space yeah. and not going all crazy. Yeah, but that's, you know, goes back to, you know, 95% of people are fine. It's 5% of the population that causes 95% of the crime. Yeah. So that's just the, you know, just back to like back in your classroom, you know, we, you know, unless everyone be uh, gets quiet, we can't and, you know, start. So it's the two people in the back and they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's always, you know, it's uh, always yeah. the back of the room. Always. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is one of those notions where it's like you have to look and you're like, oh, man, you know, because everyone wants there to be no crime, there to be no problems. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it comes back to that 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 uh, human element where it's like you can try all you want. Yeah. But, you know, it's still going to be this way. Every generation has complained about the new generation going forth oh, all yeah. the way uh, back to time yeah. immemorial. You know, Plato used to say, like, all these kids want to just go to Persia, get, you know, uh, get, get this uh, nightshade under their eye and look like all, you know, oh, uh, you know, new age and whatnot. You know, because that's what that's what actually happened to Alexander the Great. He conquered Persia, discovered they're more hedonist. Like, he was hedonistic, but like, they, you know, they were more. And like, you know, they, like, look at you. You're becoming weak. You're becoming like those Prus- those Persians, those weak people who, yeah. who's, you know, so, who are disciplined of nothing and, and lavish and everything. You know, at, throughout time, someone has complained about the younger generation. So, sure. and this is where I get. It's like, show me the period of time where there was no crime. Everything was as perfect, median state, and that's the true apotheosis of where we need to get back to. Yes. Yeah. It's all working continuum of progress. Always is. And yeah. that, and just like your bench, you know, some people, like especially younger lifters, like, oh, man, if I knew, if I had known about this or this training method earlier, mm-hmm. I'd be that much closer to being a 500-pound bencher now. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, that's a good, it's a good interior fire, but nothing to let lead you in the front yeah i guess i guess like from i mentioned you've heard me say it, it's like it's hard to go from like a mid four now then it's like i think like the one day i failed like 405 and i was angry i mean with the shoulder save on the other day i, I popped it up but i was yeah. just like that's like okay so with when it comes to lifting how did that all start with you so honestly it started with my mother oh, okay. uh she was a um 
uh, aerobics instructor at the time. This is uh, you know the, uh, the mid '90s. Uh, I was looking to uh, join the football team because I was about like 13, 14 at the time. One of my good, good friends, who I'm still friends with this day, uh, he was like encouraging me to go on the football team and then later do it in high school. And that's a good story. Uh, so the, uh, the coach, oh, God, this is horrible right now. I'm blanking on his last name. Uh, you know, someone from Downingtown and class of 2000, please comment and tell me which was the middle school coach in Lionville at the time. Help me. Uh, the coach was one of the few teachers that I could really say, like, invested in me. Yeah. Who said, kid, you've got something. You know, you're strong. You're willing to work with people. You listen. You know, I'm willing to invest time into you because I see you're willing to do it. And, like, that was that was earth-shattering to me that was a whole new world yeah and then like after and middle school like no 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 one should ever really shine too brightly in middle school you should you shouldn't peak in, in middle school nor dare you at high school so but you know middle school is a tough guy, time for a lot of kids oh, yeah. and oh, so yeah. i was no different so like that helped me a lot to get through middle school and then when uh we're about ready to go to high school we're in ninth grade it was a little bit different at that time, uh, ninth grade was still in the middle school, and then you went over or to the high school. And uh, oh, yeah, we were, we were we were the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, later there was a whole ninth grade center where they put both junior highs into as like a ninth grade center as a tipping off to high school. I mean, I mean, I think I graduated with almost eight hundred some kids. Okay, so we we were the same. Oh, okay, we we had it was um you had one K through four, mm -hmm. then six. Five and six were on one side of the building. Seven was on the other. Eighth grade center, ninth grade center. Ah. 10, 11, 12. Gotcha. So we, uh, one thing they allowed you to do when you were in ninth grade is you could take the bus after school and go work out with your high school team and get sort of like integrated into the team. And that team, the, that team just won the state championship. They were mythic Greek gods to us small little ninth graders uh one of them was a guy named brian it wasn't a guy named brian sims who later became a state rep in philadelphia and was one of the first uh he was one of the first out game members uh in the house uh, a phenomenal leader in lgbt rights a phenomenal uh, lawyer in uh in uh, civil rights and I, I i knew him back then and it's you know it's very interesting how sometimes you know something you wouldn't notice comes back at you later in life. Yeah. And it was just you know we uh, we had eventually met up again at the DNC uh, in 2012 in North Carolina. Yeah, my girlfriend was a delegate at the time and running for state rep at the same time. Jeez. So like I said, I got I got more stories. And uh, uh, we we caught up and we talked and he's like, hey, what was it like when I came out? Because he came out, I believe, like. I want to say his junior year of college or something. I think he was a special teams captain at Bloomsburg. Okay. And, uh, like, I remember it very succinctly. Like, I came into uh, – it was um, – I want to say it was a off-season practice. Yeah. So we're just going to go out on the track, run, do some other sure. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just sitting around, like, kind of like, you know, you know, tea talking, as I like to say. Sitting there, like, all getting real close to each other. And I'm like – the heck's going on? I go to my buddy Tom. I'm like, hey Tom, what's the deal? He's like, oh, do you hear about, about Sims? I'm like, no, no, what? He came out. I'm like, what do you mean he came out? Oh. Mind you, this is 1999. Oh, yeah, I want to say like 1999. So, so like this is like this is like yeah, break you know breaking hey, stuff. If you, do, if you just move this this oh, way, oh sorry, no, 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 you can move the whole thing. Oh, move it. That way, it just like if you push this. Uh, okay. Yeah, that way it's just that way you, yeah, you, you yeah. feel a little, a little more comfortable for you. Whichever one works. Yeah, actually, it doesn't no, matter this, to me. No, this works. No, okay. this works. So, like, this was breaking, and especially in 1999 in a high school. But, like, remember, yeah. this, Sims, as an 18-year-old, was squatting 405 easy. Like, easy. I mean, I, I cannot get the image of my brain of him just throwing that up there and just, you know, for like a quick set of six or something. And we're just sitting, like... And everyone who knew him, like like any of the like kids that were my age or a couple maybe a year or so younger, knew him, knew of him, saw him, and were like, "Oh, 
cool. Good for him. So, you know, only one, like, new, new kid who was, like, a sophomore. Everyone else kind of just shut their mouth because we all, they listen to us older kids and talk about them. Like, yeah, so, like, it's like, would you say anything to him? No way. Hey, Sims would boot stomp me to the ground. Yeah. You know, and except one kid who I'll, 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 leave, I'll leave nameless. Yeah. We'll call him Damien. Okay. Damien started just, of course, because that's just how this count is. You know, he's, the, you know, that kid was just started speaking all the most hateful, nasty things in the world, which were probably fairly okay in 1999 at the time. And I would say where well, they're okay, but they were normal speak at sure, that time. Sure, sure, I should sure. say to qualify that. And all of us just sit there and looked at each other just with this grin on his face like, so, so who's going to tell him? So who's going to show him a picture? And then we, we showed him a picture, like showed him like stuff from like the graduating year. Like, this is Brian. See him? See, he, 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 could, he could bash you in the face and not even think about it. And we like so many kids like, we will drive you to Bloomsburg and I dare you. I double dog dare you to say that to his face. Shut up pretty quick. Yeah. Oh god, that is crazy. Because sometimes I don't, I don't really think about it. Because like nowadays, uh, if someone comes out, I'm like, oh, awesome, dude. And like, because like my uncle on both sides of the, uh, my family are mm-hmm. gay, mm-hmm. so I'm so used to it. It's it's a, it's a normal thing. Normal thing. And um, you don't really think about it, but it's crazy. Because then like I hear the stories like that, I'm like, I guess I really was like that back and then. And not too far away. I know. You know, we just have to think about the same thing when it comes to the history of slavery. When you think about like. Also true. Short story. When I was working at the Register of Wills, I helped a very nice woman do some uh, historiography on her fa- or history on her family. She needed to look up her, I think, three times great grandmother. So great, great, great grandmother. So, the, and the reason why she came to the Register of Wills and Orphans Court to look for it is because she needed to look up a record of her in an estate because her great-great-grandmother was still considered property at the time and was inherited by another family member. Oh, my God. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, we, she had the, fa- the, the name of the family, who, which, you know, you know, enslaved her her great-great-great-grandmother. We found it, and there she was. I, mean, I, I want to say a Miss Isabel something. Right there, right... R- coincidentally, right next to the silverware. Because that's how it was. It was like a ledger. Just a long ledger of like, you know, dining room table, $50. You know, four sets of chairs, $10 each. And, you know, Miss Isabel, $150. I'm paraphrasing, but I yeah, just, yeah, yeah, that's see, like, see, like for me, it, like, okay, because <clears throat> me being, I guess, people will say, quote unquote, young, mm. it's it's weird to kind of look back and be like, you know what, that really is kind of crazy that things are so, because um, it really isn't that far, you know, even like nope. women's rights, you know, the nineteenth, you know, it's it's all not that, it's pretty relative to being like new age, you know what I'm saying, and <clears throat> I don't know, dude, it's. It's crazy to look back and think, wow, your great 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 grandmother. Actually, I think I want to say two greats. Two, now I think about it, two greats, and that's and that's even crazier because most people went still another. So, so I want to say the the will was dated about eighteen forty or fifty or something like that. Wow. So you know, you can you can seriously go back about five generations and touch the Revolutionary War. So, you know, it's not that far away i was actually listening to a great npr um uh, uh intelligence squared uh, debate in england about the reparations movement and how the how the legal justification of it is yeah what if i were to tell you and this uh, you'll hear this a lot of uh from british historians and people that like you know britain got rid of slavery back in i want to say 1820 uh, th- no Somewhere like it stopped the slave trade about 1800s and then about formally abolished slavery about 1830s, 1840s. Okay, but there was a, a there was a little wrinkle in there. They, uh, as part you know, part of their legal system, 
they had to address the grievances of all those former slave owners and paid the largest single payout the empire has ever had to do, which they had just recently paid this money in 2015. Something in the order of $100 billion was borrowed back then, you know, in, in terms of like relative to our money, or 100 million pounds, excuse me. Million. 100, sorry, uh, billion, sorry, 100 billion, billion. 100 billion unf- pounds was paid to former slave owners in just English territory. So, uh, uh, like a lot of the, Bra- the Bahamas, British Islands, uh, nothing in the States, of course. That's different. So just people who are English citizens, that's how much money they paid to them so to, so the British could get out of slavery. And they were saying, like, all of us, you know, at least half of us, and the, the speaker who was African, you know, who was African descendant was saying, you know, we are all British citizens. At least half of the people in this room have been paying this debt through your taxes for as long as you can remember because, you know, however long you've been here. So that that that's where it's like, okay, it's not even that you we owe reparations to them because of what their family suffered and that, you know, that's that's the debate to be had. But when you actually have a real time, you paid off actual debt to something that really in all sorts or she probably shouldn't have, but because of the way systems work, yeah. you did. So yeah, that's where like, you know, so a lot of people are like, I don't believe in reparations. I'm like, okay. If you lose money because of something government did, you would want that at redress, right? Well, yeah. Well, let me present you this argument. Dang. Yeah, that's it's, it's a hard one, dude. And that's that's weird. I did not know that about uh, British Columbia. I uh, or yeah, the or, Brit- or uh, yeah. yeah. We're, I, we're on the same path. Yeah, yeah, but- exactly. I I was aware of it, but I wasn't aware of the dollar value Not that i remember hearing about it trans you know transgenderly in history classes in my you know when i was in college and you know it that that like but when you hear a number like that a hundred billion dollars and back in a time that was like that money like that, that's basically uh you know th- it's insane numbers this is like if i asked the country to come up with five trillion dollars Five trillion, I think, is the estimated GDP of the entire United States. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Because even even like a millionaire at that time was unheard of. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> all the great millionaires of the American histories. You know, in the, like the early twenties into the thirties. You know, they had money in orders of magnitude that would you know are the same order for kind of like now and like the Musks and the you know. The, um, George Soros, Soros is yeah, yeah, all all those types. We, you know, we can't. I, I can't. I couldn't know what to do with one billion dollars besides give it away. Dude, I don't know how you can do with a billion dollars. One of the one of the first things I would do is I would restructure. So there's this thing with um, uh, I think it was Gates who said this. It was to actually fix the United States debt. Ah, see, but there's an issue with that. What? All of our money is based on the debt. Well, no. So here's the thing, right? And isn't that wild? Because there, there's there's a certain amount of billion dollars that is owed to us, like owed to like the United States. And when I saw that, I was like, "That's insane." That blows my mind. Uh, the, the homework for everybody is uh, the cross of gold speech. Okay. Uh, this was actually when we got off of the gold standard, and I want to say that wasn't Reagan. That was uh... no, 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 no. Way before I yeah. think we finally got off the like uh, the gold standard. I want to say Nixon, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it no, was no, no, Nixon. No, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, but the the argument started around about I want to say after the Teapot Dome scandal, after Grant, about 1880s. Something like that point because that's where teapot. the teapot dome scandal. Okay, teapot dome scandal. Oh, what? I'm really ignorant to that, aren't I? That's crazy. You're, you're, okay, <clears throat> no, I'm learning. There's, this is fantastic. I love this. The teapot dome scandal uh, came in uh, during Grant's administration after, like the after Civil War. 
So America was going through a lot of boom-bust cycles, economically speaking, during that time. New industries were coming about but failing. So it was kind of sort of how like the early, early days of the Internet was. Like there's, uh, you know, there's tons like, do you have AOL online? Not anymore. Of course not, because yeah. <laughs> that was something I used when I was like, you know, 15, 16 okay, years old. this still has that email address, though. I'm sure there's so many people with all those free AOL startup uh, discs somewhere or like to show in a museum. But, you know, that's, wow. again, that's that's the truism of business. They, you know, you, you know, you have a right to start a business. You don't have a right for your business to last forever. Yeah. And. That was kind of what was happening in these industrial periods. People were, you know, uh, trying to start up new businesses with new technologies, and some were succeeding, and most were failing. And you know, there was also a lot of other issues at the time because um, France was kind of getting over the Napoleonic Wars as well. Yeah. And so you know, lots of different big factors at the time, but the Teapot Dome scandal uh, was more about big money interests using political connections to basically screw over other people. And, like, uh, for example, uh, you could, with a very simple measure in subcommittees, let's just say you're an importer from New York and you need to get stuff from South Carolina, but there's this uh, tariff guy over in South Carolina who's giving you hassle because of some of the materials you're doing. So you talk to your political friend because you're connected with Tammany Hall over in New York and be like, yeah, this guy in, in uh, North Carolina is busting my shoes, lowering my margins over this. Take oh. care of him. Not like take care of him, take care oh, of him. Oh, oh, what they'll oh, do is oh. they will take his salary, vote on it, and make it zero. Not for the entire department, for that one guy. They can do that. They used to be able to do that. Oh, God. It was a separate act, the Hawking's Act. Uh, comment's going to kill me. Section, comment section's going to kill me. But there was a specific act that stopped all that practice. Yeah. But that's how minutia the government used to be at that time. Because remember, this is still kind of an agrarian society. And it had like no, we're nowhere near the transition that would happen in the next yeah. century or so. Yeah. You know, difference between 1860 and 1960 are like day and night yeah. in terms of like how big an administration, how big the federal government had to yeah. get, yeah. how big it had to be to deal with the challenges of the next century. Yeah. So, but uh, the Teapot Dome scandal was basically it highlighted how political connections and money. And money and interest in business were bit, were so entrenchedly hand to hand. Yeah, and uh, you know, there were actually newspaper, and that's the thing. It's like, well, I got taught it as you know, these honest newspaper or you know providers were digging into the muck and like getting these stories, true yeah. investigative journalism. Yeah, no, they were just protecting their own interests because the people who owned those newspapers also owned other things. I mean, that's pretty common, right? Now it is. It is now. Why do you say that? Because only after about the industrial, when you had the industrial revolution, did you have the true investor class. Like, there were people, like, in England, you know, half the reason we all got away from England is because unless if you were of a certain class, classism is paramount when it comes to a British system. Yeah. You know, there are there are not a lot of come up stories, and that's supposedly the difference. You know, in America, you can start from the bottom. Now we hear, you know that that you know that's a purely American story. Yeah. You know, and now you know, not for nothing. Now we have to really, you know, we have to really ensure that stays true. You know. Yeah. But. The English weren't about the come up story. You know, if you, you know, your father was a dock worker, you're going to be a dock worker, your son's going to be a dock worker. Welcome to Boston, kid. That's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was what was transpassed, you know, from the British system. Yeah. But, you know, where was it going? Da, 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 da. Yeah. So the people, like, there were, like, um, the Rockefellers didn't initially have money. This was the idea of new money that came out in the, yeah. in the mm-hmm. 20s. Mm-hmm. This was And this was a, like a true departure because old money came from old England and stayed old money. Yeah. New money are people who actually up-jumped themselves to this level, which didn't seem possible. You know, 
And it's a new idea. It's a new thing. It, it, exactly. New ideas, new thing. Like, you know, old money, you know, they made, you know, sales. They made ships. They insured the ships. Those are the kinds of things that create old money, money that you can't get rid of, money like herpes. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, you can't get rid of old money like that. It yeah. don't go, you know, it might disappear for a little while, but there it comes back. Yeah. New money, you can unfortunately gain in the summer. You can also lose in the summer. This is, you know, you know, the time, you know, so many examples of stuff like that, you know, here and gone. That, you know, that's the necessary churn of capitalism. Yeah. You know, someone's got to earn it, someone's got to take it. Great a quote from the wire: "Money ain't got owners, only spenders." Yes, there's a there's something where it's like uh, this is this isn't your dollar; it's just your turn with the dollar. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of quotes like that with with quote unquote capitalism, but it does make you think. It's like you know, because everyone wants to start a business, e- even like this podcast. Yeah, it, absolutely, it's business. Like I, I want to turn it into an LLC. Mm-hmm. The only difference is it's like we're only at like forty k. So for me to like really kind of blow this thing up, which if you guys want a uh, five star of the whole thing, it'd be great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug. Uh, one of my favorite uh, show new shows is called Breaking Points. They were I've he- I've heard about this. Yeah. They have great. Uh, uh, Sagar and Crystal have a great story. They both were on another show called The Hill, which I kind of you know watched you know here and there. They usually come up with stuff that like aren't is in the lower tier of the media spectrum but actually brings it out you know and they actually have opinions now i i will take issue i will take umbrage and issue with some of their opinions but at least they have the goal to go out and say it Mm -hmm. and you know be and and be like put out there right right or wrong i put it out there you know what that's uh, to me that's new it's and it needs to be promoted you know sure and but they decided to go on their own. They actually went on to Joe Rogan's podcast, and they like behind the scenes, like, listen, like we want to, we want to get away from the hill, but we don't know if we want to like make that jump and go independent. And he said, mm-hmm. no, do it, yeah, do it. I don't care what you got to do to do it. You'll be happier, you know. And they are a primary subscription based kind of a format. So they do have YouTube ads and certain ads, but majority of their money comes from subscribers. So they don't aren't beholden to the uh, to you know the ad providers and the commercial people and you know that helps keep them uh, you know separated from the money and interest as that really want to push agendas you know and that you know and that's not being conspiratorial that's just being real that, you know that's how it is nowadays. I mean you'll get meet the press I, I trust me I love I grew up I, nothing nothing was better for me than before benching on Sundays was getting up real early on a Sunday, having my coffee, and yelling at the TV for an hour or so, yelling at Meet the Press and all the Sunday shows. Yeah. And, like, I do less and less of that now, uh, mostly because, the, the, like, the hosts are unimaginative. They don't get into the meat of the issues. They definitely don't press their guests because they want them to come back on and that's sort of you know i'm i might be speaking at school no 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 no. this is this is great i I might be speaking at school here in terms of politics stuff because you know a lot of comms directors out there really do know how to work this angle it's like well if you don't play ball with us you know we won't be on here and you're you know the more and more you play that the less and less guests you might get yeah because it is a numbers game. It's like how many heads are watching you, and if they're not watching you, then why would I even want to come on this 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 show? Mm-hmm. You know, and plus, even now, everything's so divisive. You know, Fox, yeah. CNN. You know, it's it it really is wild to have people come on and like you know they might want to press them, but in the same regard, it's like sometimes I I do know this like um. <clears throat> Let's say, you know, someone hops on, on here and I'm pressing them, pressing them, pressing them, pressing them, right? I'm just some right-wing asshole. And then, you know, I'm not giving them time to speak. I'm not, like, actually listening to their thought points. Mm-hmm. That can have a negative effect on me yeah. because I'm looking like a douchebag and not actually being like, okay, so you believe in this. Yeah. I see what you're saying. 
I understand that just... you've come to this conclusion, but explain to our audience why you feel this is important. There's yeah. other ways of broaching questions, and so many. And you know, the older member uh, people used to uh, do uh, meet the press. They were afraid of like politicians used to be afraid of getting hard questions on meet the press. Like that was like, uh, you oh, that's know, awesome. that's the I, that's the power. That's the, we got to get that power dynamic back to that square. Mm. Because, you know, you know, just like anything in life, if people aren't just a little bit afraid of repercussions and they don't have fear of repercussions, then that's when things really get right off the rail. Yeah. You know, no supervision and no daylight. It means for, you know, things happen in dark corners. You don't want that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Mm. There's just, there's just so much shit out there. And there's so much. And trust me, as a constable, I deal with a lot of the real effects of this. So, you know, I deal with evictions. So I am in, some, I yeah. am indelibly connected to the homelessness issue. Yeah. Indelibly. You know, and the, that's something I am very well aware of whenever I do one. I well, re- see, that that whole homeless issue thing pisses me off. Not because of, like, the homeless. But um, it was this, uh, I forget who I was listening to. It might have been, maybe it was like flagrant. I, uh, that's uh, Andrew Schultz and a couple of guys they do, uh, and that Joe Rogan talked about this too. <clears throat> um, that the issue with the homeless population is there's so like look, look in California, mm. hundreds of thousands of these people. Right? Oh yeah, but the problem is, is you have people at the top who work for these organizations that go that that get paid to do this, and they go, okay, we're gonna do this and X Y Z, but then the, the issue is is like. They're kind of sort of incentivized to not fix this issue because then they don't have a job. So like that's the other thing on like on, on a different spectrum where like I might look at it and I'm gonna go, I see their point because it's like this is getting so bad and mm-hmm. they're just they're kicking people out of their camps and they're coming right back. They're yeah. putting uh, they're putting like uh, spikes under I don't know what they're called, but they're putting spikes under bridges and yep, on, like benches. exactly. Uh, and I'm like that's not a solution. Nope, that's a they're just, just going to go somewhere else. Yep, and that's the thing. The, uh, the homeless population is very good at knowing where to go where they don't necessarily, or, or I should say, they're very good at, at trying to exist where they will bother the least amount of people and get the least amount of blowback from it. So, honestly, they know more about the differences between county property, PICO property, and, and uh, municipal property than <laughs> a lot of land use attorneys that I know. Yeah. Simply because... That's their life. Yeah, and you know, I you know, I'm the constable in Norristown. Norristown has had a homelessness issue for a while. It's come up in the news recently, and you know, uh, sa- uh, saving that for what just the fact that it is, I'll just leave that be. There needs to be a lot, and there and there is. There's the the worm is starting to turn a little bit on how do we broach this this problem. And there's many, uh, you know, many offered solutions for this problem. Uh, not everyone, of course, can agree on one solution. Yeah. And you get varying different people with very different levels of how they want to provide help. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard this uh, uh, This one before. A uh, committee is a, a ca- uh, I'm sorry, a camel is a co- an, a horse designed by committee. I know I just butchered that. No, you're good. No, I haven't heard that. Clip. So yeah, uh, a camel is a horse designed by a committee of people. So they're like, I want the horse to be able to like travel long distances, give it a hump and uh, allow it to store water in there. Yeah. And then like, but I want my camel to be soft and cure uh, furry. Give it fur. And now you have a camel. I get it. Yeah. So, th- you know, unfortunately, that's what happens to a lot. Like. A lot of solutions that are like if you have like uh, initially good idea like uh, you know uh, the, the the garbage pickers that pick up all the uh, the the garbage the plastic that floats on the ocean surface yeah. those are great I like I let you know there's simple machines that just get yeah. the things up and it's a simple solution but people start getting too cute of it, of it try to make it look cute like a duck you know so it doesn't look like a, this big piece of machinery and they're like no just get it done yeah, you know, I, I I don't need to feel good about my solutions. I don't need to feel like. You'll feel better need, when it's done. I'll feel exactly. Well, 
and that's the other thing. Done is a relative solution. There are lots of people in the homeless situation who are in, who are in deep, deep need of mental health services, and we don't have, we just flat don't have the facilities or the resources to properly deal with people in that situation. A lot of people blame uh, Reagan in the '80s for getting rid of the uh, the mental health hospitals, uh, the state uh, the state hospital over in the. Penhurst. Yeah, uh, yeah, Penhurst, but also uh, oh. in Norristown. Uh, there was a state hospital in the state uh, state farm uh, the, uh, in, in Norristown. Oh, I'm not familiar. Oh well, I'll, I'll take it. It's a uh, we'll drive by it sometime okay, when we go cool, through Norristown. Yeah. But it's 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 old. It's been shut down since the 80s. Okay, but that is a humongous property that's in Norristown. That uh, the state mental health hospital. That's where a lot of people with a mental with mental health issues, you know, in various degrees, went. You know, but also it was a place for uh, people in the criminal system as well. And that's the only people that are left there now are people with criminal backgrounds. And that's also the biggest barrier that happens to you when you're homeless. So if you have any uh, violent record in your past, you can't stay at shelters. Women get a lot more uh, leeway with that than men. Yeah. But as you can imagine, there's probably very, very few men shelters. Very few. Because... Lots of men in homeless situations tend to have mental health issues and tend to be violent. Yeah, it's fair. So, you know, it makes it incredibly <clears throat> hard for even the nonprofits to be able to do effective work yeah. because there's just, you know, not a lot of people want to deal with men in that situation. Yeah, that's going to be a scary situation. Even yep. if you do, even if you are a cop with a gun, probably it's still a terrifying situation. Oh, it's you know, it's not even that. It's just that uh, this person doesn't care about their themselves at this moment. They're in a me- uh, fugue state or something in a state where they're just they're not you know they're obviously not operating at a hundred percent. And you know they're you know now congrats you get to deal with this. Yeah. And you, that's where a lot of the you know the resentment. Yeah. And when it comes to that, you know, it's and we have to come up with a new, like, you know, a completely new idea and how to best affect this. Uh, you know, everyone makes fun of the Dutch be, or, uh, because their prisons look like summer camps. Okay. I'm, not, I'm never seen a Dutch prison. It, it looks so like it looks like a dorm room. Oh, really? They have like a microwave, a window. Oh, Oh yeah. yes, no, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And in uh, Norway, in uh, much of that area, same idea, because yes, they're, yes, 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 yes. They're a hundred percent bought in to uh, ending recidivism mm-hmm. and trying to get the person back on a better track. And they realize, you know, hold on to your hat, here, folks. If you put time and energy into a person who's never had time and energy you put into them, first they're going to resist, but then they're going to ex- uh, eventually, if you do it long enough, they will accept it and find a way to readapt themselves into society because their first way obviously didn't work. And it's first realizing in the person that, like, listen, all your best decision making skills got you here. You are here now. Obviously, whatever you're doing wasn't working oh but you know i was fine i was dealing and you know oh you had that one idiot who got you know blabbed to the other guy which got you there so i was fine it was just one little mistake and you know of course that's what that's what you're constantly trying to break against is the idea of that you know eh, i'm fine it's the rest of the systems that's the problem yeah so no naturally and that's where you you know and, and there's a part and part also deals like realizing some people are not you know some people are not born to do nine to fives yeah yeah and you know not to saying you know we have to find in a a, a job for every person that's convicted of something mm-hmm. but you're gonna find a lot less people coming back if you can actually give a, a real guide path to someone to get out of stuff. Sure. And that's the other thing I see as a constable, people with uh, with warrants for traffic tickets, for parking tickets. And they don't have, like, I'll get them on one or two because that's where I'll get issued. <clears throat> and then, like, they'll pay it. And then all of a sudden, I'll get four more from the guy from the past. Mm. And, like, oh, it's just the system. They'll, you know, they constantly retrudge and reissue new warrants. And I'm like, 
I, I already got this guy for like two warrants a couple weeks ago. So, yep, they found more. People, you know, some people just rack this stuff up. And it's just like, that's where you, yeah, it's frustrating because you're like, I remember my first time I got it, like my first big batch of warrants, 17 were on one girl. One girl. What? 17. How? 17 individual parking tickets that were never taken care of. They're yep. like cheap. Uh, yeah, yeah, thir- yeah, 20, yeah. Yeah, 20 or 30 bucks. Yeah. But, you know, and she lived on uh, West Airy Street, like, you know, it's like a one-way street. It's a, you know, there, you know, a par- you know, parking in town is a problem. Definitely. And, but to get 16 and to do nothing about it, like, I, I would freak. Well, because I mean, at that point, you know, you pay the first one, it's about 20 bucks, 20 bucks. It's like, it's I mean, I could see that. one or two. Absolutely. Like, if I've forgotten parking tickets, I used to live in Westchester. Believe me, I've forgotten about parking tickets, yeah. you know. Uh, but I have never gotten to a, like, I, 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 I was like, if you have 16 and you're ignoring them, you're doing that purposefully. Yeah. You're just willfully, like, I don't care. And a lot, you know, a lot of times happens, people move. And think that like, oh, I'm not in Westchester anymore. They are not going to get me. No, that's not going to happen. Constables are going to come after you. In fact, Zach has a story about it. Uh, he was uh, he, he went to college in uh, oh, um, Lewisburg, um, somewhere like in the Lehigh Valley area. <clears throat> Got some parking tickets, and then the constable like he's at home. Like it's spring break or whatever, minding his business, he gets a hard knock on the door, uh, and you know, his mom's or whatever answers it, and it's like, it's like, do you have something about parking tickets at school? Maybe. <laughs> and like, yeah, Zach told me the story, and it's like, oh, it, it's classic, and like, because there's, you know, lot there's lots of ways constables do the job. Yeah. The effective point is to get you to just pay the fine. And do it. Some have more intense ways than others. I don't use arrest as my first option. Mm. Others might use it as their second or third. But, you know, uh, everyone is different. But the point is, the, the fine got paid, the warrant got taken care of, and he didn't have to go all the way back to Lehigh County to go wait it out in county. That's the thing. A lot of those guys try to do that on Friday. So it's like, listen, if you're gonna, I gotta pay it today. You're taking a ride with me, and you're gonna sit for a little weekend. You're gonna think about what you did or yeah. didn't do. That's terrifying. So, long story short, I have to pay my, my. Uh, yes, I would highly advise you do that. But what if I don't want to? Well, you know, county is not as bad as you might think. You know, it's just a weekend. <laughs> You'll see the judge on Monday, and if you you know if you spent the weekend, honestly, they'll give you that two days, and they'll probably knock off like sixty, seventy percent of it. Cool, but you have to stay in county two nights, so that's fair. I mean, I heard know. it's really nice there. You know, uh, the after hours clubs have a little bit of a <laughs> may not be of your liking. I did go to uh, Montgomery County. I did. Uh, I went there in high school. If you took business law. Oh, you would go and you would visit. You do like a day. It was like a field trip. If you screw up, this is where you go. That's what they would do. <laughs> but I mean, they, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like they're correcting you. Like you were walked around. I watched this one guy lose his job like, on the spot. Ooh, we were we were we were we were we're like all against the wall. They're coming through, and I'm like, those are inmates, and like they're 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 like inches from us. And, you know, it's like whatever. Like in my head, I'm like they're people. It's fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then this guy goes, I'm going to my finger in your butthole. And then he goes, and he goes to the other kid, I'm my finger in your butthole too. And he went, and I'll never forget it. And then I saw the guard go, you know what? You're done. You're done. You lost your duty. I'm like, and then the lady that was walking us through, and uh, not, not not to like put him out there, but Miles Basketball, if you, if you hear this, uh, <laughs> if you can confirm this story, it sounds really like made up, but it's not. Um, but... Yeah, so she, uh, I think it was a girl at the time, and she was like, "Yeah, so like he just lost his uh, his job." We're like, what? The inmate lost his job. The inmate yeah, lost his job. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "Why?" I'm like, Miles. that's a big deal. I'm like, Miles, what happened? He goes, "I don't know." I laughed at what he said to them, and then I he did it to me. 
And I'm like, you just lost that man his job. Yeah, that, that's, that'll suck. That's, you know, because that's uh, extra money, I think, and like very yeah. little. But like time and also a little, you know, yeah, that's like not a lot of things to do in prison. So, you know, having a job is a important thing. Yeah. But uh, we've, done, we've done about like a little over an hour. Oh, wow. I was going to say that actually went pretty Dude, well. I have done this so many times now where like I literally look and I'm like, yo, we just did. Oh, we did an hour plus, and like it doesn't feel like an hour. It does, it doesn't at all. It feels fact, like we've been talking for like twenty minutes. The, I feel like I've been talking about the first story, like going on a, a little da- David Daisy chain since the first story about Bar McIlvain Smith and the first race I ran in twenty ten. Yeah, that that was interesting. I'm gonna long story short that, that one really quick. She initially dropped out. They got another guy to run in the space. He had to drop out due to a back issue. They got her to but. Back in to run with less than 80 days, no, 60 days. I want to say 60 or 80 days left in the actual election. We raised uh, like almost $100,000, knocked on like 4,000 doors, and we were about 120 votes from victory, which is a little bit more than one half of 1%. Oh my God. So, typical things in life, my friend. Oh my God! Four thousand dollars, and that was and that was the first race I had to actually, you know, uh, uh, you know, be the lead on, and that was, oh man, that was like that was a lot. We had to do a lot of things to keep that boat road rolling, and so, yeah. you know, anyone who tells me about conspiracies when it comes to uh, elections and campaigns, I'm like, have you ever volunteered, knocked on a door, talked to a voter ever? No. no. Go do that, then come back to me. Yeah. Well, my friend, this is a lot of fun. Um, so wrapping this up here. Um, if these don't want to contact you, talk to you, ask you any questions. Um, do you have any like social medias that could uh Um just David dot at Instagram. I do have a constable email, but that's usually for people with warrant stuff, so you probably don't need to come through those channels. Uh, yeah, just uh, reach out to me on Instagram, any questions and concerns, and I'll be more than happy to answer you. All right. Mr. B. Secker, Matthew, will not mess it up ever again that I just did that earlier uh, about an hour ago. Quite but, all right. Um, cool, so I'll put, I'll put all that up for you. And then, uh, guys, we are on every single Wednesday, so you guys will see this. I think it will be this coming Wednesday. Oh, wow. Today's. Yeah, today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. No, today's, today's Thursday. Today's, you're right. Today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. So you guys will see this the following Wednesday, which the, to you, it's the next week. To us, it's a random day in the week. So uh, thank you guys for everything. And Dave, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Matt.